Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today, we're going to delve into what it really means to abide. Casey, where do we get this idea of abiding from Scripture? Well, this concept of abide really stems from John chapter 15, where Jesus is talking about the branch and the vines, the vine and the branches, rather. John 15, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. And so in my version, it says that he prunes us. You know, when you think of pruning, you think of like having a bush and you you want certain parts of it to grow more. And so you're going to cut it back so that you're kind of focusing the energy. The Lord pruning us is taking things out of our life that are excessive, that energy is going into, that is taking away the focus from the the place he wants to direct us. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, the, the picture is in that, that you're focusing where the fruit is going to be born. As you said, it's directing energy. You have wasted energy on unproductive branches. And so you need to focus it to where it actually bears fruit as he intends. I traditionally have had a really black thumb, but last year was my first year to have a successful garden. And I tried to grow bell peppers. Yeah, that's debatable. (laughs) Hey, it was successful. (laughs) And some of the things I learned is that I ended up with these little bitty peppers. And after watching some videos and learning more about it, if I wanted big peppers, then if I had three growing on the same branch, then I needed to take two off when they were little so that the one could, the best looking one could get the most big. And so that's kind of the same idea. Like the Lord is going to take things out of our life that isn't where he wants us to focus if we're abiding in him. But then there's also this warning in this passage about not producing fruit. And what does it say if we if we don't produce fruit? Well, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Wow, so some pretty strong warnings for people that aren't producing fruit. Right. That's that's the testimony of what it means to be a believer. It's really hard to say that the Spirit of God, whom is love, abides in you, and you aren't bearing that fruit of love. Why love? Why is love so important? Because love is the root of everything. It is the greatest commandment, as Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? The love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you see John, the author of this gospel we're reading from, in his letters to the churches, speaks on this very topic of love. That if you say you love your brother... Uh, Well, if you say you love God and hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. And that is a stark warning. And so that's this picture of love. If it is not rooted in you in all that you do, then it's pointless, just as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. And so in verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And so um, this is something I actually use with my kids, you know, whenever they're trying to 
like do something sweet instead of what I asked them to do. And I'll, I'll just quote this. I'll be like, listen, if you love me, you're going to do what I ask mm-hmm. and not just try and hug me right now, you know? Right. And so um, it's, it's kind of funny that we as Christians do that. It's like, well, I'm not going to do exactly what the Lord's asked mm-hmm. me to do, but I'm going to really worship hard. Yeah. Like, I'm going to try and do this to-do list that will look good, but I'm still not going to do exactly what you asked me to do. The Lord tells us back in John 14 that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And just and just as he said here in 15, you keep my commandments just as I kept my Father's commandments. Abide in my love. And so it's not an aspect of legalistic obligation that we love the Lord, but rather it's a reflection and a response of the love that he has shown us. We love him because he first loved us. And so it's all about loving him and then loving others. It goes on to say, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You know, and when we think of like modern day laying down our life, it's almost easier to think of taking a bullet for someone than it is to think of letting someone else have their way instead of your way. Hmm. You also see this picture of Jesus saying that it's easy to love people that love you. But true love is this, that you're going to love people that don't love you. Even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, love people that love them. But it's an aspect of God's love in that while we were yet sinners, while we, while we were yet enemies of God, he loved us. And so it's it's this picture of unconditional, undeserved love being displayed regardless of the receiver's actions, regardless of the situation. And I think many times in our culture, we think love is, well, unfortunately in our culture, many times love is like eros love, like sexual love, like a perversion sort of thing. Um, We don't even have really great strong examples of like storge love, like love, like perfect love between parents, less yet agape love. Mm. You know, we have very self-centered societies. I love that they give us this long discourse in 1 Corinthians 13, where the Lord reminds us that we can have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith to move mountains. But if we don't have love, it, it means nothing. And then he goes on to specifically explain love. And some of these definitions, um, I remember reading through this when I was younger and just recognizing, wow, I'm really lacking love. Mm-hmm. It says love suffers long. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone that enjoys suffering long. What do you think suffers long means, Casey? It's like being a duck, letting the water roller right off the back. You're not you're not being ruled by circumstance. You're not being ruled by what other people do. You're completely secure in your identity and the love that God has shown you. And so love suffering long is literally you're enduring with great patience people's unloving attitude towards you. Which we totally see that Jesus did. You know, I always go back to that Jesus is perfect theology and And he was, it goes on to say, love is kind. And he was always kind. And he did suffer long. And he wasn't demanding. He truly was the only person that really was a victim, (laughs) a true victim that was innocent because he never sinned. Everyone else, we might have people do stuff against us. And and that, you know, in some ways makes you a victim. But you are still a sinner. And so you've still, in some ways, victimized other people through your actions and imperfections, but he truly never did. Well, the the picture of true love is from a selfless heart. 
to where you're not even considering your wants, your desires. You're just sincerely desiring the good of someone else and that you're going to do all that you can to display that. And that even in them curling up like a porcupine, you're still going to hug them until, <laughs> until all those needles are gone. It says love does not parade itself. It's, it's not exalting oneself, right? So it means you're not lifted up in pride. You're not seeking to really take center stage. You're not wanting to be exalted above others. You're, you're wanting to take the lower seat, just as Jesus said, hey, if you take the lower seat, I'll, I'll lift you up. God exalts the humble. Well, the next verse says it's not puffed up. So not only does it not boast, but it's also not prideful. Yeah. You know, and so those two kind of go hand in hand. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Mm -hmm. And so you think of people throwing like tantrums because they don't get their own way. Yeah, that that never happens. Right. Like no one's ever had a child or been a child. It's not provoked. It's an adult child. (laughs) It says it's not provoked and thinks no evil. Yeah, that's a big one. Right? You're you're not provoked, meaning you don't get offended. True love does not get offended. And <laughs> just sit on that, chew on that for eternity, right? Because it's within our sinful nature to take offense because we're proud and we want what we want. And if you don't fall in line with what we want, then, well, a pox on you. It says it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes Ooh. all things, and endures all things. I can get real political here because this is this is hilarious. Um, when I see Christians whom are of the Republican persuasion, and then they deride with bitter vitriol Democrats or other people who don't believe the same way, God forbid someone thinks for themselves— and can disagree with you like that's free will that's what god created and yet we have christians who in spite and maligning language speak ill of other people that's not love in the least and so i think it's hilarious in our american culture how these strong conservative leaning christians which i am one don't walk in love and i'm going well the Lord has very strong language against those who don't walk in love. And so I'm not going to fall for that trap. I think for so long I, I started recognizing that I didn't have love. And so I started pursuing love. And I started just asking the Lord, you know, show me how to love and help me love. And, and I wanted to love, but I could not produce love in my own heart. Right. And what I really found is that it actually all comes back to abiding. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to give you an example. If there's like a young, like five, six-year-old child, and they're by themselves, and a tall, lanky man comes up to them to threaten them, they're going to feel overwhelmed. They're Why are they going to be lanky? They're going to feel, you'll see, no. they're going to feel as if they're at the the mercy of harm and that they can do nothing about it, right? And so that's going to drive emotions. You know, they're going to they're going to fight or they're going to run. They might say mean things. They might scream. They um, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, right? But if they know that they have a huge muscular daddy with a very powerful weapon in their belt standing right behind them and some lanky man comes up to them and threatens them, do you think that they're going to be worried? No, because they're going to feel safe they're going to know that those threats don't actually harm them Mm. 
And so it's because of knowing how they are into relation to their father, they can stand and not be shaken and not be moved by this other person. And so I think the more that we understand where we stand in God and who he is to us and how that what that means in relation to him, who we are, then we can not be provoked. Mm-hmm. We can love people. We can you know, suffer long because it all has to do with what we're believing. No, absolutely. And what, what you see that I think we really need to, to really clarify in this term abide, just as he's using this language of a branch abiding in the vine, you're getting all of your supply, you're getting all of your sustenance, you're getting all of your health, all of your strength from that source of the vine. But this term abide has a broader meaning, which is to make this your dwelling place. This is the place you reside. And the reality is most Christians don't reside in the presence of the Lord. They don't reside in the love of God. They don't reside in their understanding of how he views them. Rather, they reside in the opinions of men. They reside in the um, circumstances of their life. So they're happy if things are going good, and they're sad if it's not going well. And I think within the walls of church, unfortunately, the message of residing in him isn't really taught as much as focusing on the fruit. And so we have the fruit of the vine, and so every denomination has their set of rules, and they have the rules that they follow— and they preach their rules. Like if you go to any mainline denomination, pretty much their sermons are comprised of, at least this has been my experience. To do's and to don'ts. To do's and to don'ts. Mm-hmm. The things, this is this is why we don't do this, and this is what makes us better, and this is why we follow these rules. And it really doesn't address the heart. It really no. addresses the action. It's, it's reformation rather than transformation. And the reality is you can't reform a, a dead man. And when you're trying to reform the flesh, that's what you're doing. You're reforming a dead man. And so when we're talking about obedience to the law, and and let me clarify, we're not saying, hey, you can abuse grace, you can flippantly go sin as you want. The source of the issue is not the to-dos and the to-don'ts. The source of the issue is those things naturally occur after you're abiding. The problem is we put the cart before the horse and we're trying to get the fruit before we get to the heart of the issue. And and this is something that I think really applies to that is in Romans 5, 4, in the latter portion of this verse, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So the key is not that we, as you said earlier, are producing love in ourselves. We can't. We can't produce a selfless love in and of ourselves because we're rooted and created and fashioned in in iniquity, in sinful selfishness. What that means is we have to go to the source of love and have him pour out love through us so that we in turn realize who we are because of what he has done and plead and draw um, our sustenance by abiding and dwelling in him so that he can flow love through us. It's not a natural product of our effort. It is a natural product of our resting and abiding and dwelling in him. So much of it for me comes down to the language of the heart and how God looks at the heart. God judges the heart. Um, True religion is about our heart Mm -hmm. and the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, you know, all those things, those 
are really heart issues. You know, some of those are the manifestation of them, you know, patience and kindness, but that flows from a place of peace and of joy. And and those things naturally come from you whenever you have the right heart versus the inside of you being in turmoil and being upset or angry or offended or self-seeking or all these things, boastful, prideful. And then on the outside, trying to pretend to display kindness and gentleness And we just kind of don't see that effortless life in the spirit by trying to produce fruit that isn't actually flowing from the heart. So so what's interesting about that is you have to think about that term fruit. Fruit is not forced. Fruit happens. Uh, Fruit is uh, is not a product of man's intervention and effort. Fruit is a product of abiding. Like it's it's in the right situation, in the right source, in the right soil, which is all cultivated by God Himself. And what we do, and I, I don't I don't think it's so much as we're trying to produce fruit. We're trying to tie fruit to a tree that we're not tied to ourselves. Right. It's like fake fruit. It's like taking the fake fruit you can buy at Hobby Lobby and like hot gluing it on to a dying bush. Yeah. Well, and But the bush is dead. And then we wonder why people don't want anything to do with religion. They're like, come get a fake fruit tree. Well, the problem is we, we've been taught for so long and grown up in a culture that has been primarily focused on outward appearance mm-hmm. and making sure that everything looks right and proper when the heart has not been addressed as it should. And I'm not saying every church has done this. I think there's been great preachers, great churches throughout every generation. But the vast majority devolve into a religious mindset of just like the um, uh, the Pharisee or the Sadducee and the tax collector, where he cries out to God, Lord, thank you that I am not like that man over there. And he's boasting in his fruit that he tied to a tree. Right. And that man over there was crying and just repentant towards God, fully aware that he was a sinner. Yeah. And he was pleading for forgiveness because he recognized, I can't produce fruit in and of myself. I need you to forgive me and then produce love in me, just as it says in Romans 5, 4. It is the Holy Spirit who sheds abroad the love of God in our heart. And we see in that passage that the actual man that was justified was the repentant one. Absolutely. And so now that we've talked about what abiding is not, I want to talk about what abiding actually is. When you think of abiding, you think of practically like spending time, like to abide also means to tarry and So it's like spending that time. And so, Casey, I know that whenever I spend time with you, we sometimes we don't talk. Sometimes we do talk. Sometimes we we think through thoughts together Mm -hmm. and and I get to know you in such a way that if someone were to tell me, hey, Casey did or said this, I know my husband well enough to think, oh, yeah, that sounds like Casey or no way. That's not my husband. Yeah, it's funny. We were playing. I don't remember what kind of game it was, but you were on another team and it wouldn't be fair if we were on the same team. So we would either fight or know exactly what the other person is thinking. Um, we're both very competitive. Mm-hmm. So, But the, the issue is when she was on the other team and her team was trying to guess, like get her to understand and use terms that I knew she had no idea what they were talking about, I just started to giggle. I was like, guys, 
You're going to have to rephrase that because she has no idea what you're talking about. Listen, Jenny does not speak sports. She does not <laughs> speak history or geography. There but are certain languages I don't speak. It's just a reflection of they don't know you like I do because we spend more time together. And that's just a natural fruit mm-hmm. of tarrying and dwelling and abiding together. Right. I remember me and my sister were playing. You know, we were only 11 months apart and yeah, we were very weird. close. And I remember us playing games together when we were early married and, and you accused us of cheating because I'd be like, Katie, it's the guy with the nose. And she'd shoot out the answer and you'd be like, what? There's no way. There's no clues. There's no <laughs> that clues was not whatsoever. a clue. But we could literally, we knew each other so well that we had so much past experience yeah. together that we had established like this thing happened with this man. He had a nose, mm. you know, and um when you have established a history with God, mm-hmm. and we're talking about like last last podcast, we talked about how to hear from the Lord, and really you have to hear from the Lord. You have to talk to Him. You have to talk through issues. And whenever I say talk, I mean communication. And communication isn't necessarily you know audible speech or even internal audible. Sometimes it's just thoughts. You know, communication is an exchange of knowledge or information. And so when we communicate with God, when we think his thoughts like, um, hey, God, you know, what do you think about this situation? And then maybe we're just filled with thought of compassion. We know that that represents his nature, that that is what he would think or do. So it's safe to believe like that he is communicating with us, his thoughts towards that. And so the more time we spend with the Lord and we really get to know him, the more that we know his thoughts about a situation. So I don't have to necessarily pray when a situation comes up and I don't have to pray and always ask God now, hey, God, what do you think of this? Because I already know. I I already know if he's heartbroken or if he's excited or if he has grace or if he right. is grieved. Like I already have a sense of how he feels about it. And then I also already, because I've spent so much time in his word, so much time talking and spending with him that I also kind of know um, how to encourage the person. And I know scriptures to speak to them because I know that I've already wrestled so much with the Lord that this is what they would say. It would be the same thing if like I was cooking with Paula Dean all the time and I went and I started teaching someone else that didn't know Southern cooking how to cook. And, and I'm like, well, Paula Dean would tell you, use more butter, you know, butter makes it better. And it's like, because I know Paula so well, because (laughs) I know how to cook the way she cooks, I can tell her how to make those mashed potatoes better. That's right. Amen. So when you're looking at this picture of abiding, and I just want to reiterate in John 15, nine and 10, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so he's tying this concept just to kind of bring this full circle to this picture of abiding. The whole point and the whole focus is abiding in love. It is that picture of the the fruit of the Spirit is love, and everything after love is a natural byproduct and consequence of love being produced in you. And what is so interesting, just to tie that to something I was teaching on here recently, was in 1 Corinthians 14, and Jenny read in, in chapter 13, but at the very first verse is 1 Corinthians 14, 1, it says, follow after love and desire spiritual things. And I love that, follow after love. And when you look at the Greek of what that means, it literally means to persecute. And you go, what? I don't understand. 
What do you mean persecute? It is a picture of there is an intensity of focus to such a great degree that it is as if that is your only thought. You're thinking of nothing. But instead of thinking evil towards love, you're simply going to such a great zeal and such a great fervency to pursue after that thing, which is love. And so the reality is, when you look at most Christians' lives, they're not persecuting love. They're not zealously, fervently chasing love. We happen to just get caught up in ourselves. Well, and I think that it's that we don't know how to fervently, you know, zealously chase love. I think that people just think that that's going to Hobby Lobby and getting the fruits two for one and just like really hot gluing the tar (laughs) out of your tree, you know? Make it look good. And so we don't actually understand that pursuing love means abiding in him. Mm, Right. You know, a few years ago, the Lord gave me the word delight for the year. And I felt like he was telling me just to learn how to delight in him. Mm. And if you're a parent, you know what it's like to just delight in a, in a child or in a baby. Just watch them, enjoy them, allow to joy to bubble up in your heart. And I felt like it was a year of learning how to delight in the Lord, engaging with him in my heart and mind in just meditative time, time of worship. Casey, I know that you like worshiping a lot more than me. I'm not a musical person. So <laughs> talk to us about what that looks like to engage with the Lord in worship. Well, when you're looking at worship, it's a lot of people just want to qualify worship as singing. But worship is not singing. Singing is part of worship. It can be. doesn't necessarily have to be. But worship is a position of the heart. Worship is an aspect of bowing the heart in humility in recognition that the person in whom I'm directing this praise, this adoration, this honor, this, this thanks, is worthy of my position of bowing myself before him. He is worth this focused effort. And so when you look to this aspect of love, as you were saying, like we, we oftentimes just don't know how to do that. It really does stem from this place of, recognizing his worth and what we as christians oftentimes don't do is reflect on who we used to be and where he has brought us and the the fact that he has brought us into life a verse that comes to mind is when jesus is referring he's at a dinner party he was invited to to this religious leader's house and this woman comes in with an alabaster jar breaks it over his head and over his feet and with her tears starts wiping his feet And this religious leader judges Jesus and this woman in his heart. And Jesus, knowing the thoughts and the intents of the heart, addressed him and said, Hey, you have neither addressed me, gave me reverence, or washed my feet. You haven't offered to do anything to serve me since I've entered this place. And yet this woman, with her tears, is washing my feet. When you're looking at this, he brings this parable. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And the reality is many of us don't look to the reality of how great a sinner we once were, not that we are still, but who we used to be and understand that God has forgiven that in his unconditional love. And it is worthy of my effort to pursue that love that has forgiven me. Right. And so in that 
reflection of our past, not necessarily unto, we definitely don't want to go into condemnation or shame because Jesus has paid for our shame on the cross, but just basically the opposite of a Pharisee who believes that they're justified, they're walking in pride, but just recognizing, hey, I was a sinner. Yeah. And then the Lord saved me and allowing that to just build thanksgiving in our hearts. Absolutely. In this vein of thought on worship, um, there's a passage that really stood out to me and really um, brought a lot of clarity to my mind that this is an attitude of the heart is in Psalm 95. And I'll just read it down to verse 6 right quick. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. And the sea is his. And he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And this is the portion in verse 6. So come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Every single one of these words, worship, bow down, and kneel, are the same root word. And what's beautiful about this is it's saying, come, let us bow down, bow down, and bow down. And you're going, okay, but they're different forms of that. And so you're you're here going, okay, well, why would I bow down, bow down, bow down? I've, if I've already bowed down, I can't bow down more because I'm already face down on the ground. And so when he, when that's translated worship, that attitude is not of a physical manifestation. It's not as if you are having to sing. It's not as if you are dancing and clapping your hands and rejoicing. It is a picture of before I bow my knee, I'm bowing my heart. Hmm. And and the reality is in this whole picture of it's an issue of the heart is that I think in Isaiah 29, I think it's around there somewhere, um, you have this rebuke of God. It says, hey, you come close to me and thank me and worship me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And it's so easy for us to go to church, do the thing, sing the songs, and our heart not even be engaged in the actions we're performing. And so when you're looking at worship and, and what it means to abide, it is an engaging of the heart, a bowing of the heart in recognition that he is worth everything, and that if we are not engaged in what we would call worship in song, praise, if we're not engaged in the study of the Word of God, if we're not engaged in dancing or even the reading of Scripture, our heart's not present, then it means nothing because it's not rooted in love. And so when we're talking about religious activity, you can be the most active church in the world, but remember Jesus' rebuke to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2. What did he say? I have so much to say. I commend you in all of these things, but this one thing I have against you, you have left your first love. Take heed lest I remove the lampstand from within you. And guess what? To this day, Ephesus in Turkey has no church because they left their first love. Wow. 
And so another way that when I'm worshiping, I will in my mind engage with thoughts about the Lord. I will um, imagine seeing him or singing directly to him or bowing before him. I will um, imagine him on the throne. I will imagine him standing before me. And I just spend time actually in my mind worshiping him as well and not just in my actions. I think one of the biggest shifts in my Christian life that really started taking me towards the Lord was learning how to be honest with myself and God, even though he already knew, mostly myself, about what was really going on in my heart. And whenever I learned that our emotions, like our lack of love or our frustration, whatever those those things were that I didn't like, were stemming from our beliefs— and that's like psychology 101 that that we feel based on what we believe. So like if you are afraid, there's something you're afraid of. And two people don't respond to the same thing. So if there was a spider in this room right now, Casey would not be afraid and I would be terrified. And it's based on the difference in our beliefs. Like he might think, well, it's not a big deal. It's a spider. And I might think I'm going to die, you know. And so those different thoughts produce vastly different emotions, his being, you know, peace or apathy and mine being terror. And so it's our beliefs that drive our emotions. So if I'm frustrated, if I'm offended, if I'm scared, it's stemming from a belief. And so like the example I gave earlier of the child with the big daddy standing behind them and the difference it would make to to know that, I had to confront these beliefs that in my heart, like maybe... I knew God was my provider, but then I still felt fear when it came to finances. And I had to be honest with myself about that, look inside, see where it's coming from, and offer that to the Lord. And when I started, instead of just slapping head knowledge or slapping a Bible verse on top of what I was feeling and actually went inside and engaged the Lord with my heart and with what I was feeling and with honesty, it actually brought me into freedom and truth. Like the Lord would speak to my heart and it would bring in peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And whenever I would go through this process over and over again, what actually started happening is my heart started changing. I started seeing things differently. Even, you know, I spent a long time studying the Bible. I was in BSF for years before I went to Bible college. I went to Bible college and studied the Bible 40 hours a week for over a year. And let's just say, like, I had been through Exodus a few times. And and here, just recently in the past few years, I was reading through Exodus, and I would stop and just cry at how beautiful the Lord was, at his miracles, at his graciousness, literally in response to thankfulness in my heart. And I was seeing him through a total new lens. And this is scripture I'd been over time and time again. I had dug into, I had studied. What I started experiencing was the difference between head knowledge and really encountering and knowing God. And knowing who he actually is. And I'm not responding to stories now. I'm responding to a person. And now that I'm more connected to this person, I see things like I'm, I see things through his eyes more easily now. I respond to his goodness. When I hear stories of miracles, like m- most of the time, I like get a chill and cry and just start thanking God about how beautiful he is. So I think whenever we start learning to actually, use our negative emotions as a signal 
to look into our heart with the Lord and to go into our heart with bravery and honesty and allow the Lord to speak into us and to transform us. We actually learn what it is to abide in him. And as we just draw that truth from him, draw that peace from him and open our hearts to him, I feel like that we are able to receive that nourishment, that sustenance that that comes from the vine that produces that fruit. And so because I'm more deeply connected with him and with truth, the fruit naturally displays in my life in a way that for years I really wanted it to and I tried so hard to force it to and I just kept failing. And next time, I just want to talk to you about this process of how we can engage with the Lord with these negative emotions that we have um, from this child that feels like they're standing alone to this child that has the understanding of this powerful father with them and how it changes how you see and what you believe and what you feel so that our hearts can truly abide in the Lord and that he can produce fruit through us. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.